To support our work at the Izzy and Murtada Picture Show and the work of other independent creators like us, sign up to listen to the podcast on Nebula. Nebula is the creator-owned streaming platform that hosts great videos and podcasts like the one you're listening to now. Sign up today at nebula.tv slash picture show and you will get access to this podcast plus other great podcasts and videos. Sign up for Nebula and help support independent media creators. That's nebula.tv slash picture show. Hi, I'm Izzy. And I'm Mortada, and this is the Izzy and Mortada Picture Show, or as we're calling it this week, the Sandra Huller Hour. Oh my God, don't even get me start. Like I knew you we were going to talk about it, but you really just dove right in. <laughs> yes. So out in cinemas this week is Anatomy of a Fall, the movie that won the Palme d'Or at Cannes that we bought. We both just saw at the New York Film Festival starring the wonderful Sandra Huller in what I think is like perhaps the performance of the year. Like I, I haven't seen everything, obviously, but, mm. you know, I've seen Poor Things and Killers of the Flower Moon. And those are the two other sort of like best actress contenders. And this might be my favorite of the three, just performance wise, but we'll dig deep into the yeah. film too. That's good. To- I haven't seen either of those yet, but uh, uh, from what I've seen this year, um. Yes, I would agree with that. Oh, we did see Maestro. That also has a best actress oh. contender. <laughs> Weird how I forgot about that. Who? <laughs> um, it's also a very, like, all those performances are very, very good. Like, all four that I mentioned are really performances that will be, you know, will probably get nominated and will be deserved nominees. But let's talk about Anatomy of a Fall. So this movie yes. is uh, just teen treat. I used to call her just teen treat, but I, at the screening, I think Dennis Lim said Justine Trier. So let's yeah. go with that. <laughs> I, th- I think it's really funny. This is a total side note, but I think it's really funny how like clearly a majority of the programmers at the New York Film Festival or Film at Lincoln Center speak French. Because yes. every time they say a French name, like they say it the way they should be saying it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, They're all... Um, yes, today we're going to be talking to Justine Trier and you're just like, oh my God, okay. <laughs> They're all Francophiles and French speakers, yeah. yes. So Justine Trier, who, Justine won the, Trier. who won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, this is, I think, her maybe third or fourth film, but I've only seen Sybil, um, which starred Virginie Efira, but had Sandra Huller in a very small role. So at the premiere at New York Film Festival, she came out um, with her co-screenwriter um, and with Sandra. And she said, I wrote this with him for her. Um, and the character is even called Sandra. So it's definitely written for her. Um, and she's German living in France. So they kind of tailor made it for her. And she mostly speaks English in this film, which mm-hmm. is kind of surprising for like a French set, a French film set in France and taking mostly it's a it's a courtroom drama. So she's in court. But then she's like, I need to speak in English because I don't know French that well. But anyway, I can offer some insight from the Q&A on that topic if we want to go there. Yes, now. do it. Yeah, we could do that and then delve into the film. Yeah. Okay, so um, I went to the free talk hosted by New York Film Festival that featured Sandra Huller, who um, is in a couple of films. She's also in Zone of Interest, so they were kind of interested in thinking about her as an actress, which I think is appropriate because she'll probably have a big year this year. And she was talking about how she met Justine Rier and... um, (laughs) And um, how the two of them kind of came to be working together. But coincidentally, um, Sandra Holler didn't speak any French at all until about like three months before she was approached for this film. She was just like looking for a hobby, basically, and started taking French lessons. I think she had taken some like in high school or something. Mm. Um, But like, yeah, it was just like a happy coincidence that she had approached her with this script that had a lot of French in it. So, but she really had to like focus kind of like to learn whatever French was in the script because she wasn't quite at that level yet. Uh, but mm. I thought that was interesting how sort of coincidental, but also like yeah. kind of forced her hand a little bit to yes. learn that language quickly. 
so then it, it's funny then in the film when she's always like they're always telling her to speak in French mm. um and she kind of can't which is funny it's like a, a running it's not a joke because this movie is very serious um but it's kind of a running thing in the film so Anatomy of a Fall starts with um a fantastic scene. I'm not going to give up the scene, but basically it's about a family. They live somewhere in the Alps, close to Grenoble. It's Sandra is, um, she's a writer. Her husband is also a writer. She's more successful. They have a son, maybe about 11, 12, who had an accident a few years before the movie takes place and is was blinded as a result of that accident. The movie starts with... Um, something happens and the dad falls it's in the title so it's not a uh, a spoiler he falls from like the third floor hits his head and dies and the film is did he commit suicide did he fall did she kill him um and that's sort of like um a way for them to dissect this relationship and marriage in general and how people who are married for a long time, things change and allegiances become different and you feel differently about the person you're with and they feel differently about you and what started as love might become competition, might become something else, even maybe murder. Um, And so the funniest thing is that she wrote it with her I'm not sure if they're illegally married, but they're definitely a couple. So she wrote it with her um, other half, for lack of a better term. I hate that word, but <laughs> with, with whoever she shares her life with. Um, and it was very funny because at the introduction, they said something like, um, she joked, he's like, well, we did write it together. It was hard, but you know, he's still alive. <laughs> That's funny. I feel like I feel like the best stories about couples are written by couples and like good mm-hmm. couples. And yes thinking about like ruth gordon you know and um what's his name you know who i'm talking about yes i can't remember his name either garson yes, canaan garson yes <laughs> um so yeah i mean in this they they sort of write a story about a couple who might be in combat they are basically in the combat part of their marriage where um he's frustrated because his writing is not happening. They're obviously both grieving um, what happened to their son and trying to, to overcome that. Um, and she is openly bisexual, um, as the prosecutor in the film keeps reminding everyone, um, which is a very misogynist, sort of like sexist thing to keep saying, mm-hmm. oh, she fucks around. Um, so she fucks around. Um, which yeah, biphobic um, too. Yeah, good like for her. An execution or an accusation often lobbied at bisexual people. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of all of these things are happening, and you get sort of like a tense two and a half hours where this marriage, this relationship, was between the husband and wife, and with their son, is sort of dissected by strangers in a courtroom. And the movie is just, I felt it was like scalpel sharp about the marriage and about the the French legal system or the way they sort of like put people on trial. I found it very fascinating that um, the witness can come up and then the defendant can like interrupt the witness while they're giving their testimony and say stuff and vice versa. Um, kind of it makes from it makes it more theatrical more dramatic than than sort of like american courtrooms where everybody has to ask permission before they Mm -hmm. speak um and then of course there's like sandra holler at the center of it all so tell me first is it kind of like your thoughts about the film itself because i think we both like it yeah i loved it um i loved the ambiguity of it um and how it kind of painted a really clear picture of two people who were really flawed but also Mm -hmm. you can find like sympathy or understand maybe like why they're making the wrong decision um or why they might react negatively to things like it doesn't I don't think it ever makes anybody out to be like a full-on villain which Mm -hmm. I really liked um Mm -hmm. and then but also, I, before you yeah. move on, I just want to add to what you said, but also you can understand 
all three points of view that the film sort of presents that she could have killed him. There is enough there for us to believe that. There is also enough for us to believe that he could have killed himself um, or fell. Maybe that's like the lesser of the three in the end. But yeah, that's what I loved about the film is that you're always questioning. And in like in every scene, it's sort of like, oh. You kind of change your mind over the course of the film. Yes. Like several times. Yes, you hit it on the nail. Yes. And I think um, what was interesting hearing her talk about it was like she really wanted the clarity for it to sort of like understand, okay, if I'm playing this character, I need to know what like what she did and what happened. And um, Trier basically told her like what you need to you need to act this as if you are like you believe you're innocent. Like that's what the character believes. So like you should believe that. But that doesn't mean mm. like she's not lying. You know what I mean? Like there's still, yeah. there really isn't any clarity. And I don't think what there is ever going to be an answer, but I like that. And I think, I think in a way, like, um, I think it reminds me of Parasite in the sense that not in like the actual film of it, but I can see it mm-hmm. becoming a film that like the average film goer would enjoy because there, it has enough momentum to like keep it entertaining, but it's also, something that you can really spend hours like talking about with your friends and being like, Oh, well, I thought she was like this. And she, you know, when she said that it didn't come off too well to me, you know, you just really spend so long dissecting it. And like, it's kind of a, not a crowd pleaser because it's not that kind of movie exactly, but it's an enjoyable experience as an audience member to kind of be taken on that roller coaster. Absolutely, because the filmmaking is so great. And also, like, um, you said it's not a crowd pleaser, but there is one scene that I think is a crowd pleaser, the big fight, because they fight. And it's a huge, long, maybe 20-minute fight, something like that. It's really long, and it just starts and sort of, like, keeps building up, keeps building up, and then it boils over, and then it becomes... And the way it's presented, it's presented sort of as a flashback, so it's later in the film, Um, but also it's presented while she's listening to how people in the courtroom are interpreting it from the jury to the prosecutor to her defense lawyer to everybody so it just gives that fight which to me was the centerpiece the crowd the crowd let's call it the crowd pleasing centerpiece yeah, because that, yeah you know it's as if you're watching who's afraid of virginia wolf or whatever but, but like all- in a reality show format kind of yes it's like yeah exactly um that that fight was so interesting to me and I wonder I don't know this might be like a little bit of a spoiler so I don't know plug your plug your ears if you're worried <laughs> but that that fight really put me on her side um I don't know if that was like a universal reaction but there were several points during that fight where I was like that's right yeah she yeah, made you, you speak English <laughs> <laughs> like... she made more sense than he did like you could see yeah, yeah, that yeah. she was right about yeah. things and he was just frustrated about yeah, he was a things. little he was a little hurt and yes flashing so out. so I think you know but that's the, the thing about this film like that fight maybe might put you in her side but mm-hmm. like you said earlier there are other scenes where you're on sometimes side. the math doesn't math you know yeah, what I mean exactly exactly because she's also such a prickly character and Sandra Huller yeah. plays her in this way where that she's giving you she's giving you enough to make you intrigued, but she's not giving you everything. Cause she keeps mm. like, you're not sure is she like her relationship with her son, which is, is not really that sort of like outwardly loving and maternal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, she's somebody who like treats him like an adult. Um, and so yeah. when she explains how she, why she does that or how she does that, you kind of be like, Oh, I get it now. But also sometimes you just feel like there is, a coldness between them and maybe they Absolutely. don't enjoy being in each other's company um which also sort of adds because he becomes the pivotal witness in the movie so then it sort of adds to the fact that he holds the cards is he going to take her side or her or his dad's side but also his dad is dead and he might want one parent to be with him so even yeah, if it is yeah, the yeah. parent he, he doesn't prefer yeah I think like there's a certain type of person who prefers privacy um, and like asks for boundaries and all that kind of thing, which is like totally normal, but like who also is unable to see like when that becomes a problem. 
and that's kind of who she is as a character like like she's still trying to maintain a level of privacy in a situation that like absolutely requires full mm-hmm. honesty and transparency and she's yes. like kind of incapable of seeing that kind of like something has shifted um and i i think like that kind of like she is a very emotionally intelligent character kind of except when she's not (laughs) but there there are times when you're just kind of like oh you're not you don't understand what's happening and i really like that i just think cassandra holler's performance in that way is really really delicate and really refined the way that she can kind of like flip those little switches on and off where you can kind of see like what someone what she does understand or what she doesn't understand um is so like in her face it's not even necessarily in the script all the time yeah totally and it's just the way that she she sort of is around everybody else. Like you sort of un- don't understand the movie sort of hints like at a history between her and her defense lawyer, but you mm-hmm. never know, like, is she sort of trying to use that history so he can get her off or is she, does she genuinely s- see him as a friend, perhaps somebody she flirted with a long time ago or not. Yeah. Her motivations are never clear. They're always very, um, mercenary like you feel even with her son with her lawyer with everybody around her there's a because she is presented as this sort of person who uses everything in her life to write about her books like she used her relationship with her parents with her husband she even stole one of his ideas and made it um a best-selling book so she is a mercenary (laughs) emotionally um Mm -hmm. and that makes her just so fascinating to watch and makes the performance um so like you don't want to um you don't want it to be clear and what both the script does and the performance particularly does is that it makes it ambiguous it makes it fascinating to watch um I've seen it twice um and um I had different feelings about her each time interesting Um, yeah yeah. that's why I'm excited to see it again like I was more sympathetic to her in the first time um Mm -hmm. and the second time I was like hmm she might have killed him (laughs) oh totally yeah she definitely might have um here's one thing I really want to give this film credit for which I think probably will go under discussed in all of this and maybe this is just because like this is me speaking (laughs) but I love that this is um it kind of like weaponizes her charm as an actor as well like I don't I don't think my impression of Sandra Holler like before this was never like, oh, this is like a really flirtatious woman. Like she's not that kind of actor. Do you know what no. I mean? Yeah. But sometimes like something I've watched a couple of her movies like since I saw Anatomy of the Fall. And one mm-hmm. thing that kind of comes up again and again is like if she wants to turn it on she can for a seduction she absolutely can mm-hmm. and i think that is weaponized so well in this film like in the first scene the way that she's talking to that academic um the way she kind of talks to the lawyer mm-hmm. like there's just something that she has where she can kind of um like grab somebody and just kind of like render them kind of unsure of how to respond because like they're being hit on like so aggressively. <laughs> yes, totally. And so you're just like, oh my God, like it, it it is very, you know, potent with her. And so I feel like um, that would be possible to see in the script without someone like her in that role. Yeah. And this is, I think, also when a, when a director, writer writes a part for an actor, they tailor it for, like, yeah. they, for if not for them, but for their idea of them. And so mm-hmm. then it becomes sort of like the part itself becomes the conversation that leads to the performance. And this is obviously so tailor-made for her. Yeah. Besides, There's... like, you pointed out the sort of, like, not the the surface stuff the language the background whatever that's Mm. all surface stuff so she can actually say the words whatever but what you were just talking about is the acting the actual stuff of why she was cast so that she can convey all these different things yeah like I was just watching last night I watched in the aisles which is Mm -hmm. from I think like 2016 or so um with Franz Sargowski 
And there's a scene where she, like, the two of them uh, just, like, are flirting throughout this whole movie. But it's, like, their first interaction. And she walks in and she's like, aren't you going to invite me to coffee or something like that? And I was like, if someone flirted with me like that, I would barf. Like, it was so, like, in a good way. (laughs) I was like, this is so charismatic. I was like, that rude. This is so rude. But I'm glad it's, like, picking up on those little things about, like, what she's capable of doing and kind Mm -hmm. of replicating it like it's just so smart yeah yeah she's wonderful and she's having like a big year I think like it's been brewing for her since Tony Erdman which was such a big um sort of hit on that sort of like um non-English language circuit um and and then she made all these sort of like smaller parts in different movies um but this year I have seen her in three movies besides Anatomy of a Fall and The Zone of Interest there's also a movie she made called Cece and I and this is sort of like mm-hmm. it's the same story that Vicky Creeps did last year with Corsage so it's yeah. about that but Empress. she's like the the lady in waiting she's the lady in yeah. waiting yes and the yeah. movie sort of has these um queer undertones uh, for the relationship which I think is something she brings to a lot of her roles which is probably why we both like her her and I think in The Zone of Interest she is effective but she's more like in service of the story there like it's not a performance the movie's not about the performances it's about other things like she does well in what she's like she acts she does the job well but it's also it's a sort of performance just the way she's filmed and all these shots from far away and whatever you never sort of see her face that much it's not Mm -hmm. about that you know it's about other the way that that film is made is not to draw your attention to the performance or for you to like the performance or be moved by it or, or whatever it is. It's about all of them working together to deliver a particular thesis on the Holocaust. Um, yeah. So, so this is the one, I think, Anatomy of the Fall is the showcase. Um, and even though the character is so prickly, you just are so amazed by her. Like, um, you like, you know, she's somebody who would definitely stab you in the back, will steal your ideas, um, put your conversation in her book, all of these things, which makes her just so fascinating to watch. Yeah. I'm thinking about like what a person like that would do isolated basically from any community. Yes. uh, In the, in the mountains, just stewing and getting angry and frustrated and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I do think going back to zone of interest really quickly, this is something that was really interesting to me in the Q and A. Um, I, I think we might have talked about this. How it's just like it kind of su- <laughs> it kind of just sucks for like every German actor at one point will like have to play a Nazi. It's just kind of you know the right of passage. Period. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and she was very specific about why she decided to do that because she'd never done that before, um, and she was very firm about saying like playing a fascist doesn't interest me I don't want to bring humanity to any of these people um and just like the way she spoke about it I think I'm very curious about how this is discussed like amongst actors in Germany because Mm -hmm. um someone in the audience asked her like okay well you know like how did you feel like playing this woman who was doing very bad things or who was very complacent, but who also was like a mother, like just trying to take care of her family. And she was like, I didn't think about it that way at all. Like this woman's a monster. There's no way you can be a good mother or a good person and like do the things that this woman did. Mm-hmm. Well, she's, she certainly yeah. didn't play her as a good mother. I think neither of those women are good mothers. Yeah. Okay. True. But- <laughs> um, But I think like, but I think that's interesting is like, there's no, I feel like if you had asked an an American woman that Mm -hmm. or an American actress, like there would have been some kind of like, Oh, I just tried to like find the humanity or like put myself in her shoes or like these, Mm -hmm. that kind of like empathetic, like stretching that people try to do with these characters. But like with Germans, they, they're they're very, they seem very clear about how they're going to approach these things and be like, absolutely not like this is a monster <laughs> yes um not, not to this Meryl Streep who is the most American and the greatest of American actresses but she did yeah. do that with Thatcher which I'm like I don't need to see a humanized Margaret Thatcher yeah exactly but she did it's it. like why <laughs> yes. why you know there you don't have to do that and I I found that really refreshing and also just like very 
um, I don't know. I just really appreciated the clarity of it mm-hmm. and how like f- it felt very political for her. And she was like, I didn't take this movie because I thought this role was interesting. I took the movie because of what like Jonathan Glazer was trying to say with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's also sort of, if you see these two performances and if you see these two movies, she is one of those actors who puts their talent in the service of what the filmmaker wants to do um, or wants to accomplish. And it's very sort of obvious in these two movies, because to the point that you were making, she's very different in them. And in, I felt everything in the zone of interest was in the service of the vision um of of telling the story and the same thing in anatomy of a fall is just the vision is different and the performance and how it manifests is different um because of anatomy of a fall is sort of a complex character study it's of two characters basically her and the son and sort of how they react to this murder and um and so then the focus is on the performance. The focus is on her face. The focus is on sort of the way she holds herself in court. I mean, I saw all those scenes where she's in court and you can um, sort of feel her um, fear that this mm-hmm. could end with her being, you know, indicted for her husband's murder, but also sort of a little bit of cruelty, a little bit of like, arrogance is like oh, this idi- these idiots around yeah. me how dare they put me on trial like i'm smarter than anybody here um yeah. and that's so manifest in just the way she would talk and would look at other people like you could see those both things yeah. playing on her face it's kind of like she's parenting the jury a little bit <laughs> yes because she's kind of like here's a very like simple nuanced concept that i have to explain to you like a child's mm-hmm. because like people are dumb <laughs> yes it's, that's her attitude her attitude is yeah. people are dumb and I'm yeah. the smartest person in this and any but room also she's kind of right like most of the things she explained I was like yeah people should be able to see that but like are they going to in this situation I'm not so sure you know yeah which is to your point think, yeah. earlier that why in that fight you take her side because she is able to like eloquently and clearly tell you exactly what the situation is even yeah. though you know her husband is trying to spin it different ways she's the one with the clarity um and has sort of like the clarity of mind to just to just pinpoint exactly what's going on as opposed to all the emotions and all the other things which are always part of you know yeah she's fights good in a marriage yes exactly <laughs> um, this, she's a great actress she's a good writer i think the script is wonderful i can't believe how yeah, just yeah. like economical to the point also it's 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 I say economical but it is two and a half hours and I would have sat for more just wanted to get a little bit more and all the characters I I know we talked about her and the son but like uh the the woman appointed by the court to sort of like sit with the son because he's a witness is such a fascinating character and she gets like a big scene where like she maybe changes everything and and the the stupid prosecutor you like you get him to even though he's kind of obnoxious and mm-hmm. her lawyer who sort of maybe has a crush on her maybe the, like all these characters are amazing it's so mm-hmm. well written yeah it's so good it's so good i i was just thinking sorry this goes back to um, what we were just talking about before was zone of interest, but I was thinking about the monologue in May, December mm-hmm. where um, Natalie Portman was like, well, isn't it fun to play like bad people sometimes? <laughs> and like, that's exactly it. Like that's yeah. how Americans are anyway. Sorry. That just reminded me of that quickly. Yeah. But I agree with you. Um, Anatomy of a fall is so well-written. Um, Tony, Erdman, I think I also really, really enjoyed that movie um, when it came out. And then I just rewatched it again recently. Mm-hmm. I think they're making an American version of it. Oh, yeah, I think that is not happening. They've been trying to make it for like 10 years now since oh, okay. Tony Erdman came out. I don't even know. I don't think it has been 10 years yet. But <sighs> basically since it came out, it was going to be Lena, Lena Dunham. Just... It was going to be Jack Nicholson. It was going to be Chris, Kristen Wiig. It's never happening, I don't think. I I just found out I just realized this because I was looking up um Will Farrell's IMDb uh-huh. and he's a producer was, on it. Yeah, cuz he's listed as a producer. Cuz I was like I think his producing career is really interesting like seeing that he was the producer of May December is just like why yes. <laughs> you know, but I'm just good for and, him. And Vice. 
Or is it like no, the other succession? Yeah, he's very yeah, he's doing well as a producer. Yeah, I'm just like, what are you doing? I mean, that's really cool, but I never would have expected. I guess. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, but yeah, I just saw that listed. Yeah, I don't think that's happening. But anyway, I think this is this is Sandra Huller's year, and I think you know we can touch a little bit a little bit on the other movies at NYFF very briefly. Like I was thinking the other day of composing a tweet. And then I was like, Murtada, who gives a shit? Nobody reads tweets anymore. But I'll <laughs> say my tweet here. Um, and I, I apologize um, that I'm mentioning Twitter. Um, but um, like I was thinking about the movies I saw, like I think Anatomy of the Fall is one that's sort of like the intellectual one. Um, and All of Us Strangers is a, the one about all the emotions um, and mm-hmm. the taste of things. Um, it's the one where I just had the most joy watching it. And so it's 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 very good that um, in such a short period, you can just be stimulated so differently by so many different movies and th- that it's hard for them to come and say, which one is my favorite? Um, and that's mm-hmm. sort of like what a festival is supposed to do. I think we're also supposed to find trends. And I think you found one, um, which we mm-hmm. can, you know, um, talk about a little bit and talk about a couple of other movies that we saw this week. What did you think? Do you think like this um, Anatomy of a Fall was the most intellectual film you saw? One that sort of like just demanded a little bit of your mind while you were watching it? I wouldn't say, I wouldn't use the word intellectual. I think mm-hmm. I was the most engrossed in it, mm-hmm. perhaps, of all the films that I saw but I didn't feel like I was necessarily like challenged with a concept that um I hadn't really considered before like in that way maybe um maybe zone of interest would have been mm-hmm. just because I mean I don't think that that is necessarily a complex concept no. what he's trying to do there but I feel like it was just kind of expressed in a way that I thought was really well executed. Yeah. Um, I think when I said intellectual, I was maybe more in, meaning more that as I was watching, I kept have to think. Like I felt oh, like I needed yeah. to think about, you know, I need to think about this marriage. I needed to think about the French legal system. I needed to think about misogyny of prosecutors. I needed to think about like, and then the most obvious question, did she do it or did she not? Um, yeah. So yeah, there was, that, that's sure. kind of what I meant. Yes, yes, yes. I would agree with that. Um, I think, I think evil does not exist is kind of like closer is also like up there with that, which is the, um, Hamaguchi, the Hamaguchi film, which is basically about this company that wants to open a glamping site. Um, glamorous camping for those of you who may not know no, what that's that is such a funny thing to say yeah. but it's very serious in the film yeah yes um but they want to open a glamping area in this like remote town near like within a drivable distance of Tokyo I think um that is very like in touch with nature and very reliant on its natural resources um and obviously like they just want to come in and ruin the community and so I thought like those the way that that was executed really like was very quiet like it's not as chatty as Mm -hmm. as follows which like I love chatty movies so you know that was kind of more in my wheelhouse but like I think it does a similarly excellent job of kind of like laying out Mm -hmm. or showing you like what different people's motivations are and like Mm -hmm how all of those are kind of coming into conflict and maybe like forcing people into decisions that they Mm. are that are not good decisions but maybe like are understandable ones you know (laughs) totally and I think it also goes beyond the sort of like did they or did they not do this in an army of a fall to be like yeah did they do it but also what did they do um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is there are a lot of questions at the end. Also, what I like about Hamaguchi's movies is that I think they're kind of like religious texts. Like, um, in there is always clarity, even if the story is an, is ambiguous. Like, you always sort of know where side you're on, uh, mm-hmm. morally. Um, mm-hmm. and this is a compliment. Um, yeah. even coming from an atheist like me, I do understand the sort of like you know religious texts are, um 
morally not that complex, but also they derive their strength from being grandiose and vast and dealing with yeah. all the big moral questions. And he does that too. Um, and this is kind of what I like about um, his films. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, in terms of, I'm, I was trying to think of like how I would rank things that I saw this year. It's hard. It's really hard. There's a lot of good stuff. I will say like, I think, so this is my first festival as like quote unquote press or like having a press pass um, with contemporary films. And um, in past years when I've like been on Twitter and witnessed a lot of like, you know, festival reactions and stuff like that, mm -hmm. you get this like some of the things that are, people say about these films during a festival, you're just like this is absurd and there's always kind of a course correction like when the yeah. film actually comes out and people yeah like, more people see it and they're like what the fuck were you talking about it's not the best movie you've ever seen it's not revolutionary whatever yeah yes um and like i've seen some of that this year but mm -hmm. i also think um like i've seen some things about priscilla and about maestro and you know other things where i'm just like people are gonna read these tweets in a couple months and be like what the what are you talking like you know Whatever. yeah um it's overhyped but not I anatomy of a fall <laughs> not an, not anatomy of a fall but i also think like truly this is kind of like an exceptional lineup mm -hmm. in like a way that we haven't seen in a really long time mm -hmm. in a like diverse way we haven't seen in a long time like there's mm -hmm. no just like one heavy hitter from a from a auteur and the rest of it is like seemingly filler <laughs> no offense no no offense yeah. but yeah. you know what i mean where it's just like there's just so much and like of different types of films mm -hmm. that like i really think anyone could have come to this festival and found something that they like Absolutely. even if it's you know something like hitman like it's the most like broadly appealing film mm -hmm. that i've seen in a really long time you know so um yeah i don't know it's just really exciting and I'm, i feel really blessed Yes. that I got to be here for this one specifically. Yeah, it it is a fantastic lineup. And it's just so amazing to just be like two weeks of like banger after banger. I mean, not all of them have been bangers. There have been a few clunkers mm -hmm. or uh, let's say not that many, like maybe a couple. Um, but um, I'm going to actually tell a story. It's not really a clunker because I think the film is good. But I for the first time ever, I walked out of a movie at, at the New York Film Festival and um, mm -hmm. And um, I think the last movie I've ever walked up was when um, Chris, what's his name? The one who made it, Chris Pine made a Jack Ryan movie. But that movie was so bad. It deserved- Why were you even walk. there? I don't know why. I don't know why. I Maybe I was invited <laughs> to a screening. So I went, but I walked out. I'm like, this is terrible. Um, yeah. But anyway, I did walk out of Green Border, the Polish film by Agnieszka Holland, because it's a story about this family of- Syrian refugees crossing the border from Belarus into Poland and they meet a woman from Afghanistan and so they all sort of form and then they meet other refugees who are trying to cross the border um, and it is so relentless in its sort of prop I would say true depiction of what happens to refugees at borders but also mm -hmm. I just you know um, I couldn't deal with it like I kept um thinking of what happened to my family this year, to my mom. I kept seeing my mom. I kept seeing my aunt who had to cross the border. And their border crossing was not like as treacherous or as filled with danger and bullets and cold and rain as it is between Poland and Belarus. It was, mm. you know, in the Sahara in summer or spring. So it wasn't, a, the conditions were better. The, the crossing itself was not dangerous at all. They were never in danger. of. But also I just couldn't, feeling the thing of like leaving your life behind and not knowing where you're going to about what that's going to mean but also being in a perilous journey while you're dealing with all of that mm -hmm. and so I was with my friend Ren and she kind of noticed that I was flinching um you know and she said you know we can leave if you want and I appreciated that because it's sort of like I just thought I could just sit here for the next two hours and feel terrible. And then I was like, you know what? I don't need to, I know what this movie is trying to say and it's important yeah. to be said and there's an audience for it. And I hope people watch the film, but maybe today at this time, it's not for, it's, not for it's you. Yeah. Not for me. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I thought of that and I wanted to tell the story because I was just think we've seen so many powerful movies 
Um, and you want to watch them and you want to be enthralled and you want to be moved and you want to, you know, think about who did it and all of that. But also sometimes the film can be so powerful that you can't see it um, mm -hmm. and you just have to walk out. So and so now I have more respect, more patience, more appreciation of people who walk out of movies. Not bad, not because they're bad, but because they just couldn't deal with it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, I think there's a difference between like having a harrowing experience that you're personally thinking about and being like, I think bleat is inappropriate because I did see people walk out of bleat. Um, oh, no. Did it have like naked It's a half people? hour long. Yes. Okay. That's <laughs> a half hour long. Yeah. There, you know what I mean? Anyway. Yeah. Um, but no, that that I think that that story is fantastic. And I'm really like happy that you did that. Like. I don't know. I think it just shows some such maturity to kind of recognize like where your boundaries are mm -hmm. and to say like, actually, I'm going to protect myself here because I don't need to expose myself to things that are going to hurt me. Yes. Um, and that's, um, that's really great. But anyway, anatomy of a fall is mm -hmm. you have to go see it. It's out. Um, I think everywhere. I'm not sure. I keep getting emails about it. So I just assume it's out everywhere. But I think at least if you're in the big cities in America, you should be able to see it. And if not, you will be able to see it because this is a film and a performance that I think will be talked about forever. She already got a cover, I think, at The Hollywood Reporter as Actress of the Year, which is kind of ridiculous because that was August when that um, when that mm -hmm. cover was released. But also people have seen her movies at Cannes and whatever. So fine. But I think... Um, it's definitely sort of playing in that sort of like, this is the performance. This is the arrival of a new generational talent of someone yeah. you're going to be watching for the next 10, 20 years. It feels, whatever. it feels weird to say that now. Yes. She's been, she has like 30 films under her belt, you know, totally, but not as like, sort of like the center of an, as a star in a palm door winning thing. And also like, sort of like crossing over, like America's big um yeah, like yeah. america is a big thing and and this is sort of like you can it's not her debut in america because she's done tony erdman which was well liked and respected and all of that mm -hmm. but it's also sort of like her sort of first time being at the center of a movie and being the sort of um main attraction because i think the marketing campaign which that cover definitely was part of is all about her so definitely yeah. someone is trying to get Heather Oscar nomination and I think she deserves it. Um, I am surprised that she did not win the Best Actress Award at Cannes. Well, they can't. The rule is that if you win one of the two big awards, you can't win another oh. award. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Rude. <laughs> Change the rule. <laughs> Change the role for Sandra. I think somebody made it bad for people because there was one year when they gave one movie like four awards and then they changed the rule immediately. Like you can't do that anymore. You have to spread Boo. the wealth. Yeah. Boo. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's wild. Yes. But also I don't pay that much attention to Khan, to be honest. Yes. I do a little bit. I, I know the rules. And I think it's the same reason that Emma Stone didn't win Best Actress at Venice because poor yeah. things well, won the, the Golden Lion. I was surprised, having seen Priscilla, that Kaylee Spaney won that award. Yeah, I think she was second choice. It's just because the other movie didn't win. Oh my God. They're like, can we give the movie Best Actress and Best Film? They're like, no. They're like, all right, Kaylee Spaney. Who won? Were there directing awards at Venice? Yes, I think Hamaguchi won second place. Mm. I'm not sure who won director. I can't remember now. Maybe it was a, a nice Gaholland for Green Board or she was third. Someone like that. I don't know. Um, but there is a directing award and there is like one, two, three. Golden Lion, Jury Prize, something, whatever. Um, yeah. But so tell me about Priscilla. So you are, I am not a Sofia Coppola acolyte. Like um, one thing I appreciated about Priscilla is that there were so many young women um, in line, in the lines, either in their ticket, mm -hmm. with their tickets or in the standalone lines. So she's certainly somebody who speaks to a generation. Um, yeah. Um, and to see sort of like that, some you know p young people especially who you know don't go to the, or people 
the media keeps telling us young people don't go to the movies as much. But anyway, these are younger yeah. people and they were all standing in line waiting to see the Sofia Coppola movie. Like, I think that's great that she has that fan base. And mm-hmm. even like looking at Twitter, I see a lot of people, just a lot of women in particular, being so in love with this film and with her. Um, and that's good to see, even though I've never been... Um, I love some of her movies. I think she's... Of her movies, I think she's very talented, but I've never loved any of them and I kind of didn't like a few uh and this one kind of yeah. falls in the middle for me but um I mean I wouldn't say that I disagree with that overall assessment of Sofia Coppola I mean um I would say I really like two or three of her films I don't like two or three of her films and mm-hmm. this one is like in the middle yeah same I am writing a longer piece about this as like part of the critics program that I'm in. So look out for that. If you are interested in hearing a little bit more, it's less about like how I feel about the film and more about how it kind of it's constructed and like the constraints that Sophia Coppola was working with and the choices that those constraints forced. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that like the first half of this film is really, really successful in like painting a very specific and like, um, you can see the like, G, very, you can say like, the G ro- the G word. <laughs> what? Grooming. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Well, see, yeah, I think, well, I think it's like not that simple. And I think that that's, it's not at all really like successful about showing Yeah, like, yeah, like it's really good at kind of like outlining the problem while also showing sympathy for like a young girl who of course would be like excited about like meeting her idol. You know what I mean? Like, like it, it draws that line really, really well and like kind of shows how it's alluring but also kind of a problem and nobody's really willing to step in Mm -hmm. um and then I think it kind of like starts falling apart when she needs to kind of grow up because Mm -hmm. the like the gilded cage just becomes a little too cagey like too too much of a cage you know like there's not much else yeah happening um so I think like if she were able to like bring that energy to the second half of it and like draw out Priscilla as an adult instead of like her teenage self, um, it would have been more successful to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I sort of felt that it was just a little understated. Like I sort of got, got like exactly it's CeCe's, like what it wants to tell us about Priscilla and about Elvis and about their relationship. But it was also really just, you know, it looked really cool and everything was like done really well. And it was beautiful. The images were beautiful, but Mm. the story itself was very understated. And in the end, I think that's sort of like Coppola's way. Like she is not somebody for louder emotions. Like the joke I said, I think I said it to you is that, you know, there's a big fight in Maestro where Snoopy makes an appearance. And I said to you um, after the film, I think it's needed. It's, Snoopy scene and I was it, yeah, waiting like, for the big boil up and it never happened but I guess that's not Coppola's way it's not like I don't think really any of her main characters get monologues yeah you know yes. in like in a straight in a way that we kind of like traditionally associate like oh this is the Oscar scene like the thing yeah. that we remember about Lost in Translation is like them whispering to each other and we don't even know what, what they're saying exactly so it's kind um, of like like that's that's more of her vibe, but also like in the process of writing this video, not this video, oh my god, uh, the article. I've been trying to like watch a lot of things about Priscilla, like the person, a lot of her interviews and stuff. And I think that's what's also really interesting is like a lot of the things that I thought were really bizarre about some of the choices that she made, like are actually that bizarre and like weird. <laughs> like so, give us a, a tease. Give so, us an example. So for example, like, like there's no blow up, right? So it is Mm -hmm. just kind of like the, you always kind of feel like Priscilla never turns the page where she's like resentful of Elvis. And I feel like it's kind of like a natural inclination to assume that like he was treating her this badly and 
the marriage was pretty unsuccessful. So like, why would it like a, just a normal, like per, logical person would be like, why wouldn't there be some kind of like blow up or like, why yeah. wouldn't they be like estranged or something like that? But like the way that Priscilla talks about their relationship, she, she still loves him like years mm-hmm. later. And she's just like, yeah, like I always love him. Like we just broke up and whatever. And it, like, it's, it's very odd. Like there's just the way that she talks about him and like the way that he was um, like, he never wanted to have sex with her and all of this stuff. Like uh, it's just strange. And there's no, it just doesn't seem like there were these moments that you kind of assume would be in a film like this. Yeah. So you're just, so it like makes for a strange story to begin with. Yes. And then um, like the execution on top of it just kind of makes it like, hmm, okay. Yeah. So in a way it's refreshing, but also in a way it's undramatic. Um, and yeah, there yeah, is exactly. nothing more dramatic than Elvis and Priscilla. Like this is, this has the makings of this big tragedy. A 14 year old falls in love with the most famous man in the world. And right. they have a decades long relationship that's sort of where she was kind of his prisoner, basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But she never felt like there are, there's, there is so many ways to tell the story. And I just that's why think... the first half is interesting. Yes. It's like that is the story. And then it just yeah. kind of like fizzles yes. out. And then it just becomes, you know, um, you know, I'm I'm a woman, hear me roar, kind of. But also in the Sofia Coppola way of like very understated. Like she's not yeah. roaring, she's just whispering that she's leaving. She's looking out the window. <laughs> yes. So um, but I mean, I think like people who love Sophia Coppola movies will get a lot out of it in the sense that like the all of the hallmarks of the things that she is typically praised for or like that her fans love her for are mm-hmm. in this movie yes totally so, like if you're obsessed with her all, like from her from the filmography she has then like you're probably gonna love going this. to love it yeah yeah totally and the other thing I think that people is giving is giving her praise for is that sort of like this is the unvarnished story of Elvis and it's not hagiographic in any way it sort of shows him maybe in a truer light than he's ever been shown before and that is true um mm. but I just don't know if that if it's that interesting like this new light on Elvis um y- yeah he did some bad things but okay but the thing is well, like she yeah, never sort of like pushes it um anywhere like doesn't hit hard is what I'm trying to say yeah I think well I think that's what's interesting and what I'm kind of interested in comparing Priscilla and Maestro is like I this like the insistence on analyzing these marriages that in many ways are like extremely conventional for like mm-hmm. like show business couples yeah um like you know women looking the other way for various reasons either because like they're kind of forced well they're usually forced to but like yeah either because you know he's a rotten philanderer or because like he's a homosexual dudes yeah like (laughs) um um yeah so I don't know it's just like but there's also it's like once you kind of make that point you kind of have to do something else with it Mm -hmm. it's like you can't just sit with that point for two hours and I feel like we're kind of seeing that a lot and so you just get like a back half of all of these movies that are just kind of dragging mm-hmm. totally and I think my story is more in my wheelhouse and at least we get the big fight at least I get the actressing I want from both Bradley Cooper mm-hmm. who I always think of as an actress not an actor because he's <laughs> you know he can give me the like the flourishes and the things and he's not reticent like other male actors and of course mm-hmm. from Carrie Mulligan who is really good in the film and she's sort of like you know the top billing is not unwarranted like it's like the scenes sure, yeah. that leave an impact even though the movie it's a kind of a cold maestro but it's kind of is about her character yeah it's <laughs> I just think yeah it's so funny like this film is not cannot decide it's like it is only about Leonard Bernstein in the sense that like Bradley Cooper is playing Leonard Bernstein <laughs> And like, it wants you to think of him as being important. It's surprisingly not about his work to such an extent. Like I was just surprised. Like there's maybe 
two, three scenes where his work is sort of front and center in a movie that's more than two hours long. Like I was just very surprised by that, um, by that approach. Like, I think somebody said it and it's not me, but I believe it. Maybe it was you who said, you know, you get more of Leonard Bernstein in Tar than you do in Maestro. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that was literally, okay, I really want to actually put this in the article because I do think Tar is a better biopic of Leonard Bernstein than than Maestro is because I think it actually Maestro made me appreciate Tar more because of how smart the choice was to make Leonard Bernstein her mentor and like the the quirks about her character that like are also in him um as a person Mm -hmm. that I think aren't put into maestro very much Hmm. you know and so um or like looking at if you were to look at him as a um as a mentor it's like you know what does it mean to like craft an American classical music scene, like to be an American composer and like what, what anxieties might that stir up? Well, then it makes sense when you think about like why Linda might change her name to like Lydia or change her last name or like Mm -hmm. trying to appeal to kind of a European sense of, of like norms that classical music has always wanted to fulfill. Yeah. Um, Or like thinking about kind of, his infidelities and kind of how free and like not predatory but not not predatory he was um about he's pretty predatory (laughs) yeah like but like but like feeling like entitled to that as well Mm -hmm. yeah totally um Mm -hmm. and so like you know there i i do think that there are things about him that i think are um just kind of under explored Mm-hmm. and yes. it's um kind of disappointing but you know it's not I like I feel bad saying that because it's like oh so you're saying that this like stories about domesticity or about women like aren't as important and it's like well no I just think Leonard Bernstein deserves more of a like dissection than he got I mean, I'll I'll say it, like for all Carrie <laughs> Mulligan's efforts, and she is wonderful in the film, maybe this woman is not that interesting. Like the I, most well, interesting I, yes. <laughs> thing about her as, and maybe she is more interesting in real life, but the most interesting thing that this movie tells me about Felicia Montalguer is that she looked the other way why, while her husband had affairs with men. Yeah. And like, like that's the only thing is of why sh- there is a movie about her. Yeah. And I and just if, don't if think that's is, enough. <laughs> yeah. If there is more interesting things to say about her, then I did not get that from this movie. And that's the screenplay's fault. That's the movie's fault. You know? Yeah, I agree there. Absolutely. But anyway, we're going to talk more about Priscilla and Maestro um, later in the in, in November when they're out and we can talk uh, more about it. Um, I had very high expectations about Maestro. I still think Bradley Cooper is an interesting director. Um, but A Star is Born remains my favorite of his work. So, so that's... Yeah. We got two C minuses for me. <laughs> I'm not giving my grade yet. I need to think about these movies a little more. Uh, but but a movie that I think we oh, both Oh, I meant give... too as in, well, we know that I disagree with you about A Star is Born. I oh, think I oh you meant A Star is Born and Yeah, Maestro. I didn't mean Priscilla. Oh, yeah, you didn't mean sorry. Priscilla. Oh, okay. All right. No, A Star is Born is A plus for me. I love that I know. One. We disagree, but that's okay. We can talk about, maybe we can talk about that during Maestro. Or Maestro yes, episode. yes, we, we could do that. We'll have, um, we can talk about A Star is Born, Tar and everything and Maestro. Um, yeah. But I think we both give Anatomy of a Fallen A. It's a great yes. film. It's an A-plus Sandra Huller performance. Um, so and please be patient that. with me as I stand her for the next. Yes. <laughs> I just need to like go through this phase and I'll try to do it with elegance. <laughs> yes, I think I'm going to stand her too. Um, she is wonderful in this film and she's always been great. Um, AZ, where can people find you? Um, find me at... BK Rewind on Twitter X and then BK underscore Rewind on Instagram. Be, be kind Rewind on YouTube. And I am at Mortada underscore E on Instagram and ME underscore says on Twitter slash X. And until and this um, podcast also follow us. Uh, the podcast is at I am Picture Show on Instagram and Twitter. 
And until next time, thank you for listening.